0: Welcome to this very special season of delving into dance. This season, Ancestors and Anecdotes is a partnership with Ausdance Victoria, exploring the perspectives of some of Australia's female dance pioneers. This season forms the auditory component of the exhibition titled Ancestors and Anecdotes, opening concurrently with the 2017 Australian Dance Awards. This exhibition pays homage to the invaluable work of Australia's dance pioneers and the manner in which their legacy endures today. The focus is on five legendary dance pioneers, Cheryl Stock, Margaret Lassica through the perspective of her daughter Shelley, Elizabeth Cameron Dolman, Carol Johnson and Shirley McKechnie. This episode explores anecdotes Of Elizabeth Cameron Dolman, who famously established the Australian Dance Theatre in Adelaide in 1965. Elizabeth has continued to push the boundaries of dance and advocate that dance is not just for the young, continuing dancing throughout her life. Interviewed by Lexi Panetta, this interview is a wonderful journey through stories and mementos of Elizabeth's influential life.
1: I think we should start off by asking you what it was like to establish a dance company in that era of 1965 for the Australian Dance Theatre. Well, I'd been
2: working in Europe for about five years on and off, yeah. and I came home. I just got married, and I thought I'm going to go just going to be a very good wife and settle <laughs> down. I'd had a wonderful dance career already. Um, And I thought, well, if I didn't do any any more, okay, that's fine. However, it didn't take very long, and the dance inside of me just pushed me on. I was, I felt really empty without the dance. So I started a school. This is nineteen end of nineteen sixty three. The school ran for the next year, and during that time, I'd met. Leslie White and we did a tour in early 1965 together uh, and then we sat down around the fire one one evening at my place in North Adelaide and we decided to make a company and we decided with the help of my husband John Dalman and we also had Kevin Roberts who was our technical director and um, Leslie's Uh, wife, Beverly, we decided on the name Australian Dance Theatre. And it's amazing that it's still running more than 50 years later. um, We'd never have dreamt that. But yes, how did I fire... uh, Yes, I just couldn't live without the dance and the demand from the young dancers, how much they love the modern dance, we called it then... Uh, They were hungry for a new dance form. And so with their energy and my own
1: energy, um, that's how the company really started. Elio is someone who I can see from my research who has shaped your artistic practice. Mm -hmm. Can you tell our listeners more about your artistic relationship with Elio? Mm -hmm. I had... um,
2: I always knew I was a dancer. I think I was a dancer even before I was born. And when I was about four years old, someone said to me, and what are you going to be, dear, when you grow up? And I said, I am a dancer. (laughs) (laughs) So I always knew, and I feel very grateful that I always um, knew that and have followed that. Um, I was first, of course, a classical and I studied with a wonderful teacher in Adelaide, Nora Stewart, Um, and then I went to London in my late teens, early 20s, and studied in all the very important classical ballet schools. I was going to be a classical ballet dancer, but then one night in London, as a dance student, I went to the the Sadler's Wells Theatre, José Limón and his company were performing, There were only 14 people in the audience because Mm -hmm. modern dance in those days was totally unknown and totally rejected. But that night in the theatre changed my life. Um, I no longer wanted to be a classical ballerina and dance, although I would have liked to have danced Giselle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I went searching then, for modern dance. And, of course, it was really difficult in those days because no one was teaching that form in England. Of course. And as a young student, I just then had to audition and go where my life took me. And luckily it did. I went to Holland and was a member of a ballet company for a year. Then I came back to Australia and I joined My Fair Lady. And Mm -hmm. a little side because that same production has been recreated and is performing in Sydney at the moment. At the moment, yes. yeah, of course. So, um, And then My Fair Lady took me back to Holland again. So I was in the, the Dutch, My Fair Lady. But then I got very tired of just doing the same show every night for two years. Of course, I can imagine. <laughs> so, but I loved Europe and decided I wanted to stay in Europe. But I knew I needed some kind of qualification, something to keep me there. So I enrolled at the Folkwangschule in Germany, which was then headed by Kortjöss. And I decided I would take the teacher training course because if I had a teacher's degree, then I could stay and work in Europe um, when I was not in the performing. And so I headed off to the Folkwangschule in Essenwerden in a beautiful old building, which was once, I think, um, probably a castle and then a um, hospital and and then um, something else, a huge, beautiful um, place, um, which by then had been turned into a performing arts academy. So we had dance and music and visual arts and um, dramatic arts as well. One day I was in the refectory talking to a lot of students, and one of them was Elio Pomare. He had a scholarship from America to go to Germany, and he was accepted as a guest artist at that school. And I was just fascinated because during the conversation he said, Jose Limon was my teacher. And I went, How lucky am I? This is now my teacher. Um, And then I saw Elio dance after school one day in the studio upstairs. He made me cry. Mm -hmm. So again, I had a similar experience from watching José Limón and then watching Elio. There were just the two of us. He was rehearsing. I was watching. I went, here's my teacher. Mm -hmm. This is the person I want to work with. Mm -hmm. And so... He also gathered some students around to teach some of his choreography because he'd already had a small company in New York. Mm. And uh, we decided to um, learn some of his work after the school hours. Um, Anyway, that's a long story. We finally left the Folkwangshule and went to Holland, mainly because I could speak Dutch. And we decided to form the Elio Pobare Modern Dance, European Modern Dance Company. And we happened to be the modern dance company in Holland at the time. There was another very famous um, Dutch modern dancer, Lucas Hoving, but he was performing already in America with José Limón and all the other... Dances and the whole dance landscape in uh, Holland at that time was very classical. Uh, We had the um, National Ballet, but we also had Netherlands Dance Theatre, which had just um, been formed not so long ago. Mm. But this little struggling group of international artists with Elio. um, we performed wherever we could, in art galleries, in factories, in small theatres. We gave lecture demonstrations. Okay. So, and, and we did performances in what was called the Troppen Museum, which was a museum about Africa. And so we did a whole program how the African dance had and music had influenced art in America. And of course, Elio could do that very well, being an African-American Himself. At a certain moment, he decided to go back <clears throat> to America. This is after three years of working with him. Um, J.F. Kennedy had been assassinated and his immediate reaction was, I need to go back and work with my people in America. Yeah. Our little group, we were a bit devastated because we were poor artists at that time. I I would like to have followed him, but I (laughs) had no money to do that. Um, But in the meantime, I'd fallen in love with a Dutchman, Jan Dalman, who was a very um, wonderful theatre photographer. Uh, We got married in Amsterdam and came back to Australia and um, we moved back to Adelaide, and that was 1963. So we've met up now with the beginning of the Australian Dance mm-hmm. Theatre. And I was very lucky because I had an in-house photographer who <laughs> made beautiful photographs all the way through of the company. Yes.
1: What was it like seeing Blues for the Jungle for the first time by
2: Elio Poman? That's an interesting question because... I was with Elio in Holland uh, when he first started creating Blues for the Jungle. It was the first um, performance, which we did in in Amsterdam, where he called Harlem Moods. Mm -hmm. And then when he went back to America, he decided to build on the, um, the suite of dances that he'd begun. Um, And he made, for example, the spiritual solo, which Carol Johnson later performed. Um, He made that on me in Amsterdam. Um, But he had, I think, three or four dances as part of a suite. And as I say, when he was back in New York with his company, he built onto that Mm -hmm. and called it Blues for the Jungle. Mm -hmm. So I, I was already inside it. And then later on, 1966, because I kept my relationship with Elio all through his life. Um, in 1966, I, I left my company at home, looking after themselves, <laughs> and I had a three-month intensive study period in America, in New York. And during that time, I met um, Harold Mertz, a very important art collector, and he put up the money for a film to be made of Blues for the Jungle. Um, And that was made by an Australian filmmaker as well. So, yes, I'm
1: inside Blues for the Jungle (laughs) rather than outside (laughs) looking in. Yes. (laughs) When Carol Johnson came over with Elio in 1970s, Mm. did you two get to personally interact and collaborate? Mm. Yes. Yes.
2: that's another long story.
1: <laughs> I, I love the questions
2: and, yes, we have to kind of go back in history and get all the foundation. Um, in 1963, when I returned to Australia, um, it was originally planned that in 1964 for the Adelaide Festival, Elio would come and with our little European company. Um, There were letters and cables that went back and forth from the festival directors for Elio and our little company to perform in the opening of the 1964 Adelaide Festival. Um, And this all was planned and very exciting, but at the last minute, the money from the festival fell out so it didn't happen mm. but now i was living back in adelaide so i kept constantly talking to various fair festival directors please bring elio pomare dance company it's important for australia to see this work mm. um because there, were, there was very little modern dance in that time
1: I can
2: uh here in this country and um finally in 1972, the directors had agreed to bring his company to Australia. So they came to the Adelaide Festival first, and then they came to Sydney as well. And, and Carol I'd met in New York when I was working with with Alios company. And, um, of course, when she came here, um, she performed with Elio's company. And once when, when she decided to stay here, I invited her to come and teach. And she performed
1: once with Australian Dance Theatre as well. Could you please tell us about your first dance work that inspired you to perform? I've always been inspired to perform.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't need a work to inspire me. <laughs> Although I was a very shy little girl, But I think through the dance, I didn't have to be shy. And I just knew, you know, my first performance was I was three and a half years old (laughs) in my in my first, you know, end of year concert. Um, So but I think your next question is about which is my.
1: (laughs) Yes, about, you know, what perhaps inspired you, yeah. what dance work inspired you to become a maker oh, Yes, dance.
2: yes, I think that's uh, also interesting. Um, finally, with my, my first dance teacher, Nora Stewart, yes. um, when I left school, she invited me to become her assistant teacher. She was already then in her 70s and I was just a young, you know, 18-year-old, 17, 18-year-old. So I was thrilled, and it meant that I could make dances for... She gave me her classes at one particular school in Adelaide, so I went every week. And then at the end of that year, I created several dance works for the, the children. One of them was called Bayame, which came from an Aboriginal legend about the Santheria plants, Mm -hmm. And when I look back now, where I live at Miramu, there's a wonderful plantation of Xantharia, and they're very sacred plants in Aboriginal story. And my whole career has also been in search of understanding about the stories of this land, and my search has been to meet with... um, elders and Aboriginal people and I have been very lucky to do several collaborations with Pichichinjara elders and also from Yolnu. and um, so Miramu Dance Company now we do we do a lot of um, collaborations with Indigenous people and I look back and think well one of my first works <laughs> was actually that, and I didn't realise that, of course.
1: The next question is, what do you feel is your signature piece? (laughs) And what was the process like in making that work? Yes, yes. Um, I guess I have several
2: signature pieces because my career is so long and um, I I hope I haven't stayed just in the same genre. Of course it is a genre, but... um, I think I have had different kind of experiences uh, which have led me to create different kinds of work. Mm -hmm. But one of the most um, signature pieces in um, Australian Dance Theatre was this train, which was a suite of dances I created in 1965, so that was in the first year of the company, and it was set to seven songs of Peter, Paul and Mary, who at that time were, you know, on top of um, the folk dance, uh, the folk song charts. Mm-hmm. And um, almost like the Beatles, they had huge following of people. Yes. As well as being folk singers, they were also very strong political activists. And they mm-hmm. felt through their songs, they could reach a lot of particularly young people. Mm -hmm. And they did, and they inspired us, of course. So this trend was really a cry for peace around the world, Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit like now. We need a similar kind of thing happening. At that time, of course, it was around the time of the Vietnam War, and so many of the young people, we were all against um, the war in Vietnam. Um, Huge uh, protests on the streets, not over, over years. Um, and the the singers and the actors and the writers and the uh, performers were. And so that was my contribution. One of my contributions, it was um, using the songs to dance about peace. And I guess, yes, some of the other um, signature works, it's like being with Miramir Dance Company in the last uh, nearly 20 years, um, a couple of them have been uh, what I call Tango Lament, which was um, using the dance of the tango um, in a contemporary way, but also to say uh, the, 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 the actual synopsis of that uh, work is whatever happens, it's like you can never kill the dance. Even if you take it out of a university situation, you close a dance course or you forbid it, you can never take it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was um, an important work when I was at the University of Western Sydney. And then I recreated it from Eromu Dance Company in 2008. And then more recently, um, the, the main sections of that work was performed in Taiwan in a, at the Tai Year Festival. So, and I feel deeply about that particular work. Um, and another one, of course, was Bride in the Desert, which grew out of our collaboration with Pichich leaders Jara leaders um, at Frigon in the Central Desert. So that's been an important work
1: for Mirame Dance Company. In those early years of the Australian Dance Theatre, you travelled around the world with your work. How do you feel the world perceived the Australian look of dance?
2: Actually, um, they perceived it better than we were perceived in Australia at that time. Wow. We we were given a lot of criticism all the time in Australia. Mm. Um, I mean, the audiences loved our work and the young people loved our work. But a lot of the critics condemned us, a lot of um, the traditional theatre-goers you know we were it was ugly dance and breaking the barriers and what are they doing yes. um and one particular work which i called sundown which was my second work about protesting against the war in vietnam um i was constantly interviewed as a political activist they could only see the that the, side of Yes, here in Australia. We presented it in Italy in our Italian tour, and I was just amazed because we got such good reports about it that this was really dramatic dance, really strong, mm-hmm. and we were acclaimed everywhere. It, it had a baseline of the women of Troy. And, of course, people in Italy could recognise that as well. And then, on the other hand, our Australian works. People loved our Australian works. Australian in that I was inspired by the landscape. We had one work called Landscape. Um, they were inspired by works. Um, that they, they loved the works that I had created from Aboriginal... My... my um, My response to Aboriginal legends, uh, particularly in Asia, we did a a big Asian tour in 1971. We went to eight different countries in seven weeks. Um, And everywhere we went, uh, in particular in Taiwan, in India, in Hong Kong, Singapore and the Philippines, they just particularly loved the Australian works and it was actually because of that tour the reports came back to Australia through the embassies mainly. Why haven't we heard about Australian Dance Theatre before? They are an amazing company and it was then on our return that people in Australia began to take notice of what the lovely young dancers were doing, what we were trying to bring to the country. We had Don Dunstan even come to the airport to meet us. (laughs) And it was only after that tour that we started to receive a little bit of funding. And you have to remember 1971, at the end of 1971, but I'd started the company in 1965. Mm. So those first five years, um,
1: there was no funding at all. Could you please perhaps reflect on a moment with Cheryl Stock? Uh, Cheryl was one of my dancers
2: in Australian Dance Theatre. She um, she was studying at the university in in um, Adelaide, one of the universities, and she was very excited after she'd seen the performance we did at the university, mm. um, and so she started coming to class. And then I invited her to join the company. Um, And then I actually had to persuade her. (laughs) It didn't take much persuasion because she'd been offered to do a PhD. She was a very clever young student, young woman. And I remember saying to her, Cheryl, you can do your PhD at any time. I want you to join the company. (laughs) Um, She, of course, eventually went back and with flying colours went through her university. She's now a professor. Um, But also another wonderful moment with her was when I was creating a work called Release of an Oath. Um, And she had the solo um, in this particular work. Um, An extraordinary... Um, line in her body in the way she, in the whole tension and release in her body and I just loved creating this solo we kind of created it together mm. um, and it was based on a, uh, a news story that had happened during the Irish uh, Troubles and um, a young Catholic girl had been stoned to death and had her hair cut off um, and so Cheryl was dancing this particular role.
1: Can you perhaps also reflect on a moment with Jennifer Barry
2: Knox? Oh Jennifer, yes, Jennifer was another um, dancer one of the first dancers and she was a very young girl then and a similar kind of persuasion. <laughs> um, and, and I did to say to <clears throat> to her and several of the other. Um, dancers, look, I'm sure one day you'll earn um, some money from the dance. Mm. I said I can't pay you at the moment, but I can give you everything that I know, and we can create together um, the the company. Um, and so she dared to do that and become full time member as well. Um, and she she's beautiful, really beautiful dancer, and kind of another muse for me, yeah. creating works on special people, and um, particularly with another dancer, Bert Toborg, um, a Dutch, beautiful Dutch dancer, who joined us after the Italian tour uh, because he'd been part of that tour. Uh, he came to Australia for two years, and together Bert and Jenny were a beautiful duo. Um, so. There was my, uh, not material, but there they were, these beautiful two dancers to create um, works on. Yes.
1: Who are some of the students or young dancers you have mentored over the years that have inspired you to continue being a leader and an educator?
2: Hmm. I, I guess it's the... Um, I created a Miramid dance company... Around about 2000, I'd started working with Vivian Rogers. in 2000. We did um, a a duet program together. It was dance theater. Um, And then continually working with her, and she's 30 years my junior, um, we decided to form a company. And the dancers who've come to that... um, Miranda Ween, Amanda Tuchelow, um, Jade, Davy Tyus Dungul, um, Albert David and recently Hans Awong. Um, and they they have kept me going too because they just oh and Mark um, Avery Lavery. They, they really were thirsty also mm-hmm. for the work that I still had, for the ideas I still had. Um, and so it's been an utter joy to pass on, to share, to keep going. And they now inspire me. Um, I was recently with Vivian. We're, we're making a duet together to take to Taiwan wow. at the end of this year. So, yes, mm-hmm. when when we find the people that we collaborate really strongly with, um, there's every reason to keep going. But I have another another side as well, and that always makes me really happy, is in Taiwan I have a long association, it's probably 44-year association with Taiwan since 1971. Um, and there was one student, um, Grace Peng, who was my student in Taiwan in 2006, and she was very inspired by some of the workshops I did. And her, when she graduated, she formed her own company, Dance Ecology. And since then, Miramu Dance Company and, Dan- and Dance Ecology, we have done and are still doing many collaborations together. Age for me is not an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how we want to work together, why we wanted to work together, and why we want to dance together. So,
1: yeah. Historically, women led contemporary and modern dance mm. to only be taken over by men. Mm-hmm. Is it harder for women to make it in artistic leadership? Is, have you got any comments on that? Is it, do you think? Um,
2: yeah, I was always inspired that women had been the leaders in the modern dance. The um, is Isid- Isadora Duncan, of course, and um, Ruth and Dennis, um, and then we have Martha Graham, Doris Humphrey, and the list goes on. Yes. Um, and I think it was important that it was women who who made this breakthrough. Um, because the women's voices for so long had been silenced in all art forms and in many other areas as well. Um, And I think it's very exciting and very beautiful that that it was the women who led the way in modern dance because it has something to do with the body. (laughs) I was lucky as a young girl because as well as being taught classical ballet, And the Russian style of classical ballet that my teacher was very proud of. I also had lessons in Margaret Morris dancing. And Margaret Morris had studied with Isadora Duncan's brother, Raymond. And within the Margaret Morris technique was the Isadora Duncan technique. So when I was doing my research much later on in my life and I realized this, I felt yes, I have some of Isadora's spirit in my body, um, and that gave me me strength. Um, it was also in the sixties when I was um, director of Australian Dance Theatre. I often got labelled as a feminist, and I kept saying, "Yes, I am, but I'm not. I'm not just fighting that. I'm I'm." I hope I'm just a channel for the dance because the dance is vital to our society. Um, That it was then the men who led it. Uh, Yes, that, that has happened, but it's also men who very often acknowledge and accept the feminine side and in their whole creative work. They 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 are creating in a what we call modern dance spirit, mm-hmm. um, but yes, it often is much harder for women even today, and we still seem to have to fight <laughs> for that kind of understanding um, as well. But I hope through the dance that that can that can even up more.
1: Do you, pardon me, you know work in cultural leadership, particularly working with young dancers across the world? Can you tell our listeners more about this and how it perhaps fuels you as an artist?
2: Mm. Um, I think the whole my whole work has led me um, into a lot of cross cultural collaboration, um, and that has come, I think, from the philosophy of the early modern dances. Um, For example, Isadora was very inspired by the Greek, uh, the ancient Greek uh, dances. Um, She did a lot of research there. Uh, We have Ruth St. Dennis was very influenced and inspired by Asian, and so was Martha Graham, Mm -hmm. Um, um, because they were looking for a new new way of beginning their, their dance journey. Um, And so we we look back to our indigenous, you might say, um, to our history, to our ancestors. Where have we come from? Why do we dance? Um, And we need to keep reminding ourselves of that. Um, And so I think I learned that very early on about um, opening up to lots of sources of dance and particularly to the history and ancestral journey. Um, And I've been lucky with Miramu Dance Company. We specifically um, are open to collaborations with um, dancers and movers from different cultures. We've had associations and collaborations with people from Japan, people from Taiwan, um, and many collaborations with Indigenous Australians, which has been really, really wonderful. Um, and so we're, and and my feeling is this is where dance is going now. We we are such a, a multicultural society, particularly in Australia, um, and opening up to the dances of all these different cultures, and finding a, a new expression in a contemporary form, um, fusing all of these, um, engaging all of these wonderful forms and. I hope it takes us back into a more spiritual approach to dance and to the real roots of where dance began because that's part of being human. Yeah. And I think it's dance more than ever um, has a role to play in, in our societies. Um, we have to start thinking of a new way of living, this whole idea of the economy as the most important thing, we cannot keep going. It's totally unsustainable. Mm -hmm. And we need to remind ourselves that there are other things that are more important in our lives. And this is where the arts of all disciplines comes in. And because dance is with the body, this is our instrument, and the dance contains our body and our spirit and our mind and that all needs to come together and it does come together in the dance. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, yes, I say it again, I think we have a a very important role to play, kind of a responsibility as dance makers and dance performers Um, not only in the professional field but in the in the whole general public as well. So I put dance out there as one of the most important um, arts, uh, one of the most important activities for our society.
1: Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth, what exactly are you developing now or what brings you to Sydney? Yes,
2: I'm actually a member of Michael Keek and Dolan's dance theatre company. He calls his company, and I don't think I'm saying it the right way, but you spell it Teak Damsar, which means house of dance in Irish. Michael is an Irish choreographer um, and a very well-known director in Ireland and Europe, Um, and I joined his company last year. Uh, He's made a production called Swan Lake, Loch Naila, It's um, deconstruction, you might say, or a new recreation of Swan Lake, the traditional Russian one, but he's also integrated a lot of Irish um, mythology because in a lot of the Irish stories, folk stories, the swan is the creature of transformation. And there is actually a lake called... Swan Lake, Loch Nile. Um and yes I joined the company in Ireland we had about 8 weeks of creating the work and then performed in the Dublin Festival last year had a season in Denmark and then in the Sadler's Wales Theatre now we're in the uh, Sydney Opera House we opened last night and <laughs> um, and it's it's very exciting to to be in a company with these beautiful young dancers. I'm actually acting rather than dancing, although I dance at the very end. Um, so it's about extending the life of a dancer, and that's always been interesting for me. Um, is that we need to keep pushing the boundaries so that we can like, we can dance our whole lives. Um, And this was a wonderful opportunity to do that. And the audiences love the show, so we're very lucky. Yes, very lucky.
0: Thanks for listening to this special episode. You can find out more about Elizabeth at delvingintodance.com where you'll find a list of episode notes and links. You can find Delving Into Dance on Facebook, you can subscribe on iTunes, and you can follow on Twitter. At DelvingIntoDance.com you'll find a range of other wonderful episodes including with Noel Tovey, Raphael Bonicella, Anouk Van Dyke, Gideon Obazanik, Meryl Tankard, Deborah Jowett and a range of other people who've had a very close involvement with the Australian Dance Theatre including Thomas Vanua, Daniel Javer, Samantha Hines and of course Meryl Tankard. Interviews from all these wonderful individuals can be found on the website. Delving Into Dance is a self-funded podcast dedicated to profiling and partnering with the dance sector. If you want to help provide a voice to dance artists or wish to partner, please get in touch. This special season was in partnership with the incredible Ausdance Victoria, a central body for advocating, profiling and promoting dance. You can become a member to help support their work for as little as $33 a year. Head to ozdancevic.org.au.